0: But if you don't have that or a paper Bible with you, you can follow on the screen behind me as we read together from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 16 is what we'll read together this morning. Beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes these words, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is God's word. I remember a few years ago, my son and I were fishing out on Lake Ray Hubbard. We had launched the boat and just had just done a little bit of work to it, uh, rewiring some components on it. And so we launched it and we uh, set out to make a run north of Highway 66 up toward the golf course. And when we got up toward the golf course point, we shut the boat down where we were gonna fish right there, and my son turns around to get up on the back deck, and he says, Daddy, there's smoke coming from the engine. And I'm like, well, of course there is. It's an old two-stroke engine, it burns oil, it just kind of smokes every once in a while. So I didn't think much of it, and he said, no, Daddy, like there's really smoke coming from the engine. So I turn around and I look, and sure enough, there's a lot of smoke coming out of the engine cowling, the cover that covers up the engine. And so, granted, I know this probably wasn't the safest thing to do because as soon as you remove that cover, all the oxygen can swoop in and add fuel to the fire. But I removed the cover, and one of those electrical components that I had rewired on there, one of the connectors, uh, must have been of substandard material because it had created too much resistance. Heat had built up and had begun an electrical fire there on the engine block. And so we're sitting out here floating on the water with a fire, bur- electrical fire burning on the engine. And so, you know, I'm like splashing water off the back of the boat, right? That doesn't put out an electrical fire, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And so fortunately, there was a fire extinguisher in one of the compartments. And so I pull that fire extinguisher out and I, I spray it down and the fire subsides and, and fortunately, right, that fire extinguisher that was there. Otherwise, my son and I would have been jumping off of the boat, swimming to shore while the boat burned and exploded on Lake Ray Hubbard. So eventually, that was going to happen, okay? Right, but there was a fire extinguisher present. And listen, that, in the same way that physical fires threaten our physical well-being, I want you to know that there are spiritual fires that threaten your soul. There are spiritual fires that threaten your soul. In the same way that I had a fire extinguisher on that boat that day, I want you to know, praise be to God that he's provided us with something to extinguish the spiritual fires that the enemy seeks to set in our lives. And what he calls it here is the shield of faith. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. This next piece of armor that Paul speaks of here, the shield of faith. And so what do we mean by the shield of faith? What does it do for us and how do we use it? Those are the three things we want to take a look at today. So I want to start off with what do we mean by the shield of faith? The shield of faith that Paul speaks of here is active trust in the power and protection of God in every situation. Active trust in the power and protection of God in every situation. I want you to look at how the verse starts, starts off. In all circumstances, stop right there. Listen, all circumstances in the Greek text literally means this, all circumstances. All circumstances, right? So this means when your dog runs off, means when your car breaks down, it means when you just went through a breakup or a divorce, you just got laid off or fired, your kids are acting a fool, right? Can I get a witness? You don't know how you're going to pay your rent or mortgage. You just buried your best friend. Your family has been displaced. Your job is overwhelming. Your boss is a jerk. And the doctor just called with an unexpected diagnosis. But listen, church, it also means when you just got a new puppy. And you just paid off your car two years early. And it still runs great. You just got married, or your relationship's firing on all cylinders. You just got a new job, or promotion, or a raise. Your kids are excelling academically and maturing spiritually, and you've got way more money in your checking account than there is month on the calendar. It means your friend, when your friends are healthy, when your family's taken care of, your job is fulfilling but not overly demanding, your boss is delightful, and your physical came back clean. In. All circumstances take up the shield of faith. And here's why that's important for us to remember this morning. Because whenever you are in the valley, when you are in the valley, you can falsely assume that God has left you there to decay. And you need the shield of faith to protect you from hopelessness and helplessness from believing that you're utterly forsaken and abandoned from believing that there is no way out of what you've gotten yourself into and the enemy is whispering as much in your ear but listen you also need the shield of faith when you're on the mountain because on the mountain you can falsely assume that you got there by your own diligence and you need the shield of faith to protect you from yourself from thinking that everything is right in your world Because of you, the enemy tempting you to swell up in pride and arrogance to kind of big up yourself, okay? So you need the shield of faith because the devil can attack you just as much through prosperity in an area of your life as he can through poverty in an area of your life. C.S. Lewis in his great book, The Screwtape Letters, and one demon speaking to another says this, it says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, the growing pressure of absorbing and agreeable work, build up in him a sense of being really at home in earth, which is just what we want. in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, because the devil will attack you through poverty and prosperity. Now, the word take up in the text is an active participle. You know what a participle is? It's a verbal adjective. You know what that means? It means it's not so much giving you a command as it is describing the kind of person you should be. In other words, the kind of person who, in every situation, in every circumstance, you're taking up the shield of faith. That's the, kind, that's, that's, that, that's the, the normative pattern of your character. That in every situation, you're taking it up if you're going to stand your ground against the advances of the enemy. Right? So, you're the kind of person who, in every situation, let's talk about the shield. What is the shield? Right? Consider the shield itself. What is it that protects us? Listen, I want to say something this morning. It is not your faith that protects you. I want you to know that, church. It is not your faith that protects you. And here's what I mean by that. That seems counterintuitive. Right? But here's what I mean by that. Right? You having faith... Because a lot of people say, well, I have faith in... I have faith. That's good. Faith in what? What do you have faith in? Because, listen, all faith has some object... That it's placing your trust in, that it's placing your faith in, that it's believing on. So let's be clear, it's the object of our faith, the thing or person that we place our trust in that we're relying on to protect us. Right, so the question is not whether you trust in something or whether you trust in someone to protect you, but who or what are you trusting? Who or what are you placing your faith in? And if we're going to have the shield of faith operative in our life that God has provided, our faith or our trust cannot be in ourselves. It cannot be in other people. And our trust cannot be in our trust. Our faith cannot be in our faith. But our faith must be in the only object that's able to protect us and has the power to protect us, namely God himself. And here's where knowing a little Old Testament comes in helpful. All right, Because all throughout the Old Testament, God refers to himself as a shield. Let me give you, you don't believe me? I know you don't. So I'm going to give you a few examples, right? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God speaking to Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Psalm 3:3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts. And I am helped. My heart exults. And with my song I give thanks to Him. Psalm 119, 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in Your Word. Psalm 91, which a lot of commentators believe to be the most direct connection between what Paul writes in Ephesians 6 and an Old Testament analogy to what he's saying. Listen to what Psalm 91, beginning in verse 2, Over and over again, God calls Himself a shield. So you see, church, faith faith is not what protects you. That is not what protects you. But God protects you, and faith is the means by which you access the power and protection of God in your life. He's the object of your faith. He's the protector. He's the shield. Faith is the trust that you place in Him to be that for you. But what kind of faith? What kind of faith? It's an active trust. An active faith. Listen to what Hebrews 11:6 6 says. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For who, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. See, if God is going to be your protector, your preserver, you're going to place your faith in Him, there's two things you've got to believe. One, that He is. Second, that He does. Right, that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Let me see if I can break it down for you this way. Imagine if you were cast out to sea, thrown into the ocean, and your mama and daddy didn't love you enough to give you swim lessons as a kid. Okay? So you don't know how to swim. You don't have on floaties on your arms. There's no life jackets. There's no lifeboats. Right? There's no Coast Guard helicopter hovering over and over you. Right? you are, right, you're dead to rights in the ocean because you cannot make it to shore. So you're dead. And then all of a sudden someone throws in a rope. You don't know where the rope has come from, but now all of a sudden you see a rope. Okay? Now that rope is your lifeline. That rope is your lifeline. Okay? So if the rope comes, you have to believe several things about the rope if you're going to be saved from certain death underneath the waves. First thing you have to believe is in the existence of the rope. That there is actually a rope there. That it's not a figment of your imagination. That it's not some kind of mirage. Okay, you have to believe that the rope is there. And the second thing you have to believe is that there is someone on the other end of that rope. Okay? Because if the rope is just there and floating in the water, you can just keep pulling, baby, and it's just going to keep going under with you. So you got to believe that it's fixed to something stable and solid and permanent. There's someone on the other end. But not only do you have to believe that, but you also have to believe that the person on the other end wants to help you and can help you that they are for you, and that they are able and strong enough to pull you out of certain death. Now listen, you can believe all those things and still drown. Do you know that? Because you never grab the rope. Listen to what one commentator said about it. He says, if all your beliefs don't lead you to the necessary action, they won't do you any good because faith Listen, real faith is never a passive thing in your life, but it's always an active trust in your life. Consider what the author of Hebrews goes on to say further in Hebrews 11. The great hall of faith, right? Give you, give, I could give you a bunch. I'm going to give you one example for the sake of time. Right? Joseph. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says, By faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I love that verse. I love that verse. I've always loved that verse, and here's why. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slave to, to some traveling gypsies, who brought him down into Egypt. And Joseph eventually is sold into as a servant into the house of one of the Egyptian commanders, Potiphar. Potiphar's wife makes advances toward Joseph. Joseph flees. She sets him up, accuses him. Joseph is thrown into prison unjustly, where he's forgotten about and abandoned until one of the people who was in prison along with him, whose dream Joseph had interpreted, right, gets out and is there before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's having these dreams about fat cows and skinny cows. right? And, then, and, and, and this guy says, this baker says, hey, listen, there's a guy in prison who can tell you what that means. So they go get Joseph out of prison. It brings him before Pharaoh. Joseph interprets the dream to say seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. That's what's coming. That's why some cows are fat and some cows are skinny. Right, and so what do they do they begin to stockpile grain and goods during the seven years of plenty to prepare for the seven years of famine and when the seven years of famine hit who comes knocking his brothers Right? there's no food here they don't recognize Joseph. And through that dialogue and exchange, eventually Joseph reveals himself. They bring their father up from, or down from uh, uh, the land of Canaan, the land of Palestine, to be, live there in Egypt. And what Joseph eventually says to his brothers is this You selling me here was God sending me here to make preparation for us in this season. So Joseph believed in the sovereignty of God over all things. And as a result, actively, you know what he didn't do? He didn't exact revenge on his brothers for the way that they had treated him previously in life. But he welcomed them and protected them and was a shelter for them as God had set up. And then when Joseph reaches the end of his life, you know what he says? They're sitting home, folks. They're sitting home. And so I know God's going to take us back there one day because he promised that to the patriarchs. He said, when God takes us back there one day, don't you dare leave my bones here. You better dig me up, right? And take me with you. You know what that is? Active trust. That's faith. So, the shield of faith. Active trust in the power and protection of God in every situation. What does it do for us? What does it do for us? Let me tell you what it does for us. It puts out flaming arrows. It puts out flaming arrows. Listen, back in the day, whenever armies would go to war against one another, okay, they, the archers, they didn't have laser-guided missiles, but they had very precise archers. And those archers would prepare for the battle the next day by dipping their arrows into pitch or tar. Okay? And then those archers would line the hillsides. Okay? You can imagine like Seen in a movie, okay? And they would line the hillsides and when they were ready to fire, they'd pull back and they would light all that pitch or that tar on fire so the arrows were flaming and burning. And they would all pull back and somebody would give the command, they were released all at the same time. And it was like this black cloud of smoke billowing in the skies as it fl- as they flew and then landed on the opposing enemy. Because they were aiming not only to run them through with the arrow, but to burn them up with the flames catch anything and everything on fire they could, okay? And so what the opposing army would do is they would take their shields, which were constructed out of wood, and they would, wood will burn, right? I don't know if you recognize that, but wood will burn. And so what they would do is they would take and they would cover their shields in leather and gild them a little around the edges with a metal band. But the night before the battle, they would dip the, that leather, they would soak it in water until it was waterlogged and they would cover their shield with that leather, gild it with the metal, so that whenever they took those arrows into the shield, it would extinguish the flames, and the flames would not burn them down. Listen, church, that's exactly what Paul says the shield of faith will do for you and I. It will extinguish the flaming darts or the flaming arrows of who? The evil one. The evil one. See, so you, you and I's enemy, he wants to not only run us through, but he wants to burn stuff down in our lives, to destroy it. He's like an arsonist who wants to leave nothing but ash in your life. And he does so by lobbing flaming arrows at you in his attack against you. And notice what the text says, all the flaming darts, all the f- plural Right? So you did not just have one in his arsenal. But he's got all kinds of flaming arrows he will shoot into your life. I'm going to stop here for a moment. I just want to share with you personally some of the flaming arrows that I've encountered in my own experience. I don't know if you can relate to these. I think you can relate in principle, probably, and find some application in your life. But I want to tell you, these things exist in the life of every believer. They just manifest themselves differently. Okay? Now, I want to warn you, after this, some of you may be looking for another church. Okay, because like I don't I don't know if you can be my pastor anymore. I just want to tell you, listen, there's all kinds of pastors in this community and all kinds of churches, and those pastors don't have any issues like I do. All right, so you can go and 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 find membership there. But I'm just gonna share with you about my life to show you how this stuff works. Listen, there's a flaming arrow of discouragement. There's personal arrows and there's cultural arrows. Personally, there's a flaming arrow of discouragement. I don't know about you, but if you've ever just woken up one morning, everything's really going well, and all of a sudden there's this overwhelming sense of discontentment in you, right? You're not content in Christ any longer. Um, You don't know where it's coming from because everything seems to be going well. I'm telling you, that's a flaming arrow that's being lobbed into your camp. Sometimes it's not everything going well. Sometimes it's like you're you're or everything does seem to be going well, and then all of a sudden you get this 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 uh, bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. Right, right as you were about to pay something else off, you're like, make that last payment, and all of a sudden, boom, something gets dropped in your life. It's an arrow of discouragement. Or a setback with your children. Right? Or maybe a phone call that you didn't anticipate or a conversation that you didn't expect. I had one of those this week. I had a phone call that I, a conversation I didn't expect, that I didn't see coming with a friend. And listen, after that conversation, I was incredibly discouraged when I hung up the phone, and I'm driving down the road, and, and like, I, can, I can hear the enemy whispering in my ear, saying like, see, I told you. That's why you shouldn't trust people. That's why you shouldn't love people. That's why you shouldn't invest in people. That's why you shouldn't get close to people. That's why you shouldn't let people in. Am I the only one? Right? And I, can, I was driving up to my driveway, as I'm, as I'm ending this phone call, and as I'm sitting there in the driveway after the phone call ends, it's like I'm stuck all week long, right? That phone call happens at the end of the week, and it's like, God just said, shield of faith. Shield of faith. you got to raise it up. Sometimes discouragement settles into depression, church. Sometimes it settles into depression. And I've spoken about this privately with some of our members, but I've never spoken about this publicly, about my own personal fight with depression. Listen, There, there back in, in, in 2016 and 2017, Redeemer was in a tailspin. Uh, we, were, we were, for all intents and purposes, dying as a church. It was a very difficult time, a season of great discouragement and trial for many of us, and particularly in my own life as well. And in the midst of that, the Lord kept providing everything that we needed to keep going. We, we, like For some of, us, some of you who were here at the time, you have no idea how close we were to not existing the next week. Okay, you have no idea, but the Lord kept providing everything that we needed, so we kept pressing forward, and by, by, by the summer of 2018, we had, we had stopped sliding and become stable and started growing again, but as the health of the church began to move up into the right, my soul was not keeping pace, which was like a red flag, okay, that something internally, it's not just circumstantial. Something internally. And I can remember my wife finally saying to me these words. By God's grace, they actually penetrated in that moment where they had not before. She said, I cannot remember the last time you were happy. And for the woman that I've been married to for almost 20 years to say those words to me. They finally got through. And so I set up an appointment with a licensed Christian counselor that I trusted and respected and began to work through issues in my heart, and my life. And even as I worked through counseling, there were things that continued to, to, I, I continued to wrestle with, and she continued to notice. And so I actually set up an appointment with my physician, and I sat down with him, and I said, here's where I'm at, here's what I'm experiencing, here's what I'm feeling. And he recommended that I consider antidepressants. And so reluctantly, because right, I thought, man, I can Bible and pray my way out of anything. Right, but reluctantly, I began to take them. And I can tell you, after several months of being on antidepressants, right? Because, because the condition that I was in, listen, I was... I was despondent. I was quick-tempered. I was downcast, pessimistic. I was living in this constant fog. Listen, I could be in a room full of people who were enjoying each other, who were engaged with each other, who were fellowshipping together, and I could feel all alone. I believe no one understood. I believe no one cared. I believe that there was no way out of this. It was a constant fog. There were, what the psalmist describes in Psalm 42... When he talks about his tears being his food day and night. There were evenings that I could not sleep and wept. And there were mornings when I didn't want to get out of bed. And in fact, had I not had to bring my kids to school, I might have slept until noon. I'm just just being real. But through God's common grace. Listen, I began to take the, the medication and the fog began to lift. And what I began to realize is in that situation, in those circumstances now, right, the playing field had been leveled. And now I could fight, whereas I couldn't fight before. I didn't want to fight before. But the playing field had been leveled. Right, Discouragement sometimes leads to, de- leads to depression, and sometimes depression leads to despair. And I want to tell you, that's where I was. I was in a season of despair. And I believe, church, that some of this was physiological with all my heart because the fog began to lift and I began to fight. But I also believe some of this was spiritual because, listen, church, we are not compartmentalized creations. We're not. And it may be that the enemy to leverage His advances in those seasons of our life when there are chemical imbalances in our brain and our body and He continues to lob arrows of discouragement and depression and despair into our camp trying to burn us down. And listen, I'm here to tell you this morning the only reason I'm still standing here is by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. I know other men who have experienced the same thing. And they have thrown away their ministries. They've thrown away their families. And I'm not here today to say, listen, I was stronger than they were. I was just as weak and vulnerable and only by the grace of God am I here. There are personal arrows that the enemy lobs into our lives. In the midst of all of that season, he lobbed arrows of temptation. And by God's grace, I stood against some. And by my own fleshly weakness, I fell against others. And I don't know if this is your experience, but anytime you fall into temptation and you continue to reside there for any season, God has a way of bringing that to light. And when He did, it was very painful. And I had to confess that to our elders and receive their counsel on how to proceed, how to move forward. Be accountable to them in that process. But listen, one of the ways that Satan tempted me in that season was by turning good things into ultimate things. Now listen, that's an arrow he fires in personally into our lives constantly. Good thing, there's nothing wrong with money and possessions. But I can tell you, when you take a good thing and you turn it into an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing in your life. It begins to burn stuff down. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letter says this about that very thing as well. He says, never forget these demons speaking to each other. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made all the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the human to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least recognizable of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure, that is the formula. It is more certain and it's better style to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what really gladdens our father's heart. And the troughs are the time for the beginning of this process. Because you want something pleasurable to get you out of the trough that you find yourself in. And so you start looking for pleasures in excess of what God has provided. And you find yourself in a position where you are... Turning good things into ultimate things, and they become destructive things in your life because the enemy is seeking to burn you down. Should I say more? Those are personal arrows, cultural arrows. We won't take as much time on these. Cultural arrows. We live in a hypersensual society. You realize that? Right, So driving by a billboard, seeing a Facebook ad, something that pops up on your internet right, that you didn't go looking for that ultimately is an arrow that Satan is lobbing into your life trying to burn you to the ground. Gender confusion within our culture. That God made them male and female and yet there's so much confusion around that within our culture. I don't think that's just... It is a part of the hardness of the human heart, but it is also an arrow of the enemy trying to burn down institutions that God has ordained. Racial identity, both on the far left and on the far right. Listen, those who embrace all of the agendas of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not talking about being able to say that Black Lives Matter, because they do, as those made in the very image of God. But all the agendas on the far left-hand side of that movement, and all the agenda on the alt-right, white supremacy side of the racial divide in our nation, both of those, finding our identity in either of those, is an arrow of the enemy trying to burn down what God is trying to aiming to build. Male passivity and worldly femininity are cultural arrows that the enemy is firing. Listen, sins of a particular city or a region. I want you to know something this morning, church that Rockwall, Texas, Rockwall County is just as jacked up as Pleasant Grove. It just manifests itself differently in the worldly pursuit of possessions and positions and perceptions that other people might have of us. Those are cultural arrows. There's a reason some sins are so prevalent in certain areas of a city. Because arrows have been lighting that place up for years. Personal arrows and cultural arrows. But the shield of faith, Paul says, is able to extinguish all of those darts. So how do we use it? How do we use it? Listen, church, if we're going to use it, we've got to grip the handles of the shield. And God's given us several ways to do that. I want to share with you those, about those this morning before we close. First of all, one of the handles you need to grip is, is, is generally just taking refuge in God. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Who is He a shield to? Those who come under his shelter, those who take refuge in him, those who flee to him for refuge, those who trust in him for protection. Now, let me say a word to you this morning. If you're under the sound of my voice and you're not a Christian, whether you're in this room or online, I want you to know something. If the first step for you, if you're not a Christian, to take up the shield of faith is for you to turn from running and ruling your own life and to place your trust and faith and confidence in Christ and what he's done for you and not what you can do for him. That's the first step to taking up the shield of faith. For you to repent of sin and trust in Christ. You see, last week we talked about the fact that we, uh, apart from God's work in our lives, we are all children of wrath. We're under God's just and rightful judgment against us on account of our sin. And yet God, right? It's been eerily absent this year because there's no crowds in football stadiums, but you know, behind the end zone and the field goal when they hold up John 3.16. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, the first step to taking up the shield of faith is to say, "God, I am not sufficient to run and rule my own life. It just leads to heartache, destruction, and ultimately to the ultimate fires of hell." Something like that's pretty severe. I'm just using language the Bible uses. Okay. That's where it leads. And the first step to taking up the shield of faith is saying, God, I'm not sufficient. I want to submit my desires to you. I want to submit my deeds to you. I want to come under your rule and reign. I want to let you govern my life and guide my life. I want to order my life around who you are and what you have revealed. Right To turn from sin and to trust in Christ that his work on the cross, his resurrection from the grave is sufficient to save you. That he is the rope. And that if you would trust in Him, that He's able to pull you out of the ocean of your own sin. But if you are a Christian this morning, let me say a few words to you. If you're going to take up the shield of faith, one of the handles that you need to grab hold of is clinging to God's promises. It's a part of exercising the shield of faith, clinging to God's promises. What promises are you clinging to in your life today? Which ones are you holding fast to? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Do you believe that? That even when it feels like God is far removed because you are in the midst of the pit of despair, that He's actually right there next to you. That He's near to you. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two: cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous Do you believe that he's able to uphold you and not let you fall? Psalm 121, verse 8, The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Psalm 145, 17-20, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and loving toward all that He's made. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Isaiah 40:31. those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Church, over and over again throughout the Old and New Testament, there are promises that God makes. Are you clinging to those? As the arrows are flying in your life, are you raising the shield and clinging to God's promises? Believing that despite despite all the evidence to the contrary, that God is for you. That God is with you. That God will be victorious. That God will have the last word. That He will ultimately, even if the arrows should burn you to the ground and take your physical life, that He will raise you from the grave and seat you in the heavenly places as a part of this glorious, grand, eternal procession of the saints. Do you believe that? Do you cling to that? Second of all, You need to shelter under the coverings that God has provided. See, God's provided you coverings, church. And for those of you who are students in the room this morning, let me just say, one of the coverings He's provided in your life is your parents. And the degree to which you, you come under the covering they've provided is the degree to which you are actively taking up the shield of faith. They are covering. The problem is, oftentimes for you, Like me, when I was your age, I thought that what God had provided as a covering was actually smothering me. It was actually squelching my freedom and my independence. Because I didn't see it as a covering. I saw it as something that was smothering. But it's a covering that He's given you. He's ordained a life in the family whereby parents have authority in the home. They are under God's authority, but in authority over you. And you know what? That's a good thing for you. It's supposed to be a good thing for you it's for you to embrace it and not resist it. Listen. In addition, God's provided the covering of the Christian community in the church. Listen. I don't know if you know, but back in the day, whenever they went to war, okay, they didn't have the, these shields we're talking about. weren't like little Captain America shields, okay. Right, we just throw them out, right, they go and kill everybody and come back to you, right, and they always block every bullet. You know, i always wonder in those movies, like, he's got the shield here, but he never gets shot in the leg. wonder, like, why is this, why is the bullets always hit, you know what I'm saying? But these shields were like four feet tall, okay, so these are big shields. And whenever they were going to battle, they would have the front row of troops who would kneel down like this. And they would hold the shield out in front of them. And the back row of troops held their shield like this, kind of angled above those people who were knelt and above their heads. You know why? Because the arrows would come over and they wanted to shelter everyone underneath those shields. So there was a line of shields all the way back until the archers had ceased firing for protection. And listen, church, I want to say something to you this morning about Christian community, about a local church, that it is a covering in your life because you, standing alone with your shield, are not sufficient, hear me, are not sufficient to block all the arrows that the enemy is firing against you. And this is why, listen, if you are choosing a church based on the value of anonymity rather than the value of accountability, I want you to know you should not be surprised whenever stuff starts burning up in your life. If what you value most is anonymity, Right, nobody's coming up and saying, hey man, we we missed you guys last, hey, where have you been? What's going on in your life? If what you value most is to be able to just kind of do what you want and when you want and where you want and have that freedom and luxury of no one checking in on you, having no one encouraging you, having no one admonishing you, having no one in your life to correct you, having no one in your life to support you. Listen, don't be surprised when stuff starts burning down. Because God's provided a covering of Christian community, people who will hold you up whenever you are suffering with pain and hold you down when you're swelling with pride. And Listen, this is why some of us are struggling so deeply right now in the midst of a pandemic in these online, this online reality. It's because we're not yet comfortable meeting in person with people but yet we're not comfortable sharing personal things over a video platform, and so we find ourselves suffering all alone. All alone. And the enemy is lobbing those arrows. And he's saying, see, nobody really cares. Nobody really understands. Nobody's really concerned. Those are all lies, church. All lies. And that's right where he wants you. Now the final thing. So take refuge in him, cling to his promises, shelter under Christian community that God's provided and then order your life around truth. See, So many of us order our life around our feelings. Like this day I feel like this, and so this is what I do. The next day I feel like this, and so this is what I do. The next day I feel like this, and so this is what I do. Well, the the fourth day I feel like I did the first day, so I'll do that again, right? So we order our lives around our feelings rather than ordering our lives around our truth. The problem with that is that if you have felt anything for very long, you know that your feelings change. Just like the winds do here, right? One day they're blowing out of the north, the next day they're blowing out of the south. The next day they come out of the east, the next day out of the west. Your feelings are like that. Therefore, that means that your feelings, listen church, are unreliable. They're unreliable. But truth is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. So when things don't turn out as you planned, you can trust in a sovereign God who orders everything in accordance with His purposes. Everything, every step is ordered. Even when the results are not what you anticipated or expected. Listen to what Isaiah says about this. In Isaiah 14, 27, the Lord says, For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart Him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? In other words, there is no one who can overturn the purposes of God. They will be carried out in all of their fullness. There is nothing that He has ordained that will not come to pass. And in fact, everything that comes to you comes through or from Him. And in the Greek, everything means everything. Okay? So order your life around truth, not around how you feel on a given day. That means you soak your shield in the Word. You soak it in the Word. You know, that leather all waterlogged so when those arrows start to fly, Word just starts popping up. Promises just start popping up. And they start extinguishing everything that is seeking to burn you down. God's given us a fire extinguisher, church. It's active trust in the power and protection of God in every situation. Use it. Take refuge in Him. Repent of sin. Trust in Christ. Cling to His promises. Order your life around truth. Take shelter under the coverings He's provided you. Only then will you be able to stand your ground. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that you haven't left us ill-equipped for this battle. But God, you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness, including this armor. I pray, Father, that you would help my brothers and sisters who are wrestling with discouragement or with depression or with despair. That You would help us, Father, not to yield to temptations in those seasons, not to turn good things into ultimate things, and see them become destructive things in our lives. But Father, You would help us to cling to Your promises and to fight on all fronts. I pray there's anyone here today who cannot seem To find their way out of the fog. God, I pray that this message would be freeing to them. I pray that they would know that in your common grace, God, that you have provided. Means and measures that they are free in Christ to avail themselves of. So that the playing field could be leveled in their life and they can fight against those arrows that would seek to burn them down and destroy them. Father, I pray that in the midst of that as well, that they would cling to your word, that their lives would be saturated with it. So they would know in every situation that you are for them and that you are able to protect them. And because of that, they would take action. They would resist you, not run from you, but resist you. You see you, see the devil run from them. pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.